The Word of God is good. It's good. We've been in this uh, Book of Daniel series, and uh, you see the bulletin as you come in. I keep telling you to make sure that you grab it because we've got places for sermon notes and the challenge for the 10-day the, uh, fast that everybody's choosing between. And if you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to do that. And then there's a, there's a lot of other information that you can catch there. I wasn't here last Sunday to give a big shout-out for our new Spanish album that just got released. And I'm so proud as a pastor, excited about what God is going to do as God uses the songs of this house around the world in multiple languages now. Praise the Lord. We're in the book of Daniel, part six, Brave Among Lions. Last week, Scott did a great job. Scott Hagen, the president of North Central. So grateful for the partnership we have with North Central University. And uh, the best days are ahead of her as a university. And we're going to continue to partner with them. But Scott did a tremendous job. One of the best communicators I've heard in a long time. Uh, just really good. And uh, so when I, when I think about into Daniel chapter 6, there's a story before the story. And I just want to remind you that as we move from chapter to chapter, it can feel like, well, last week was this event, almost like a TV show. Last week on, and previously on Emmanuel.tv or something, uh, we, we can tend to see it from, the, from a, a week-to-week scenario or a day-to-day scenario, but in reality, what we're watching is decades And throughout the decades of the first few chapters of Daniel, you see snippets or stories or snapshots of individual lives that God is working on. That doesn't mean every day was as epic as the day we're reading about. There are days in between and there are moments in which they actually went through other experiences and you can pick up on it in the text. But of course, by the time we get to chapter six, There's been some pretty incredible events, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and and the fiery furnace, and then the handwriting on the wall, not bowing to the statue, all kinds of stuff has happened. And uh, last week, when Scott was talking, he talked about the judgment of God and the handwriting on the wall, and there is a point at which God steps in. He says, enough is enough. Um, And of course, the the specific uh, circumstance, God had spoken to the king that his days were done, but... Belshazzar was going to be done that night, and of course it happened. So you can see in verse 31, and Darius the Mede took, of chapter 5, Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at age, the age of 62. So now there's a transition in power. Things have changed. Daniel, at this point, most scholars believe, is in his 80s. So he's not a young boy anymore. This is decades later. And so he's gone through multiple leaders in the government. It would be as if he served under Reagan and Bush one and Clinton and Bush two and Obama, and then he had to serve under Trump, and then he'll serve again in the future. He's an older guy. He's been through many battles. He's served under many different philosophies of government, and here he is. He is inserted into a new story in his 80s. I want to give hope to some of my older folk in the house. Your stories are not done. Just because, you know, I'm in my 40s, and, uh, and I still got hope that my best days are still ahead of me. Amen? Daniel will give us hope. Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Here we go. Darius, the Mede decided to divide the kingdom 
into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officers because of Daniel's great ability. The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Now this is interesting because the reality is this guy already, before this moment, Daniel, has huge favor on his life. Most people that were in the previous government get fired, or in that day and age, they got killed. And he's still alive. He's alive all the way years later. I mean, you remember Nebuchadnezzar, that guy that's got a statue somewhere in Babylon, like Abraham Lincoln in Washington, D.C. You know, he's, he's remembering uh, all those years, and with each transition, God has been faithful to Daniel, and the fact that he's alive is a really cool deal. By the way, some of you think that you got nothing going for you, but the fact that you're here today, that you are alive, means you got favor on your life. You're alive. Be thankful. Amen? In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, be thankful. <laughs> he's got this huge favor. And not only that, but now he's a part of the leadership team for Darius's new government. He's one of three guys overseeing a, a, a 120 different regions that are geographically based. And this is the way that the king would control and, and retain unity for the government. And so here he is, Daniel's now up underneath somebody new, and, uh, and he's one of the top three vice presidents, if you will. And now Daniel has to start over again. What do you mean he had to start over? Look at verse 3. It says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. He proved himself. He had to turn around and reboot. This is one of the things I love about Daniel. He's willing to start over again. I love that. I mean, there's something about him that says, I'm really going to get back up again. And there are people in our church that are my heroes, are inspirational to me, that have hit the bottom and they've come back. People who have been divorced, and it could have wiped them out, but somehow they made their way back. Maybe they're not married, but they didn't lose their life. They found a way to put things together again. They've got, they're going to their job, maybe they have their kids, and they move on. I'm impressed with people who don't give up. I'm impressed with people who are willing to start over. We have people on our board over the years who had businesses that uh, they employed many people and had lots of money, but then they, during the crash of 2007 and 2008, they lost everything and they had to go through bankruptcy and they made their way back. They started over, but they didn't quit. I have great respect for people who know how to keep going and to not uh, quit and to keep trying again. And I want to just say this today. When you find yourself at the bottom again, the climb is quicker when you embrace your challenge. Instead of moaning and whining about where you are, if you embrace where you are, you can get back up again. I'll give you a little story. When I was a youth pastor here at Emmanuel, uh, we had a certain measure of, of success, and uh, we had hundreds of, of kids that were in our youth ministry and and I had assistant youth pastors, and we had a, a training program called Master's Commission. And so I'd come out of my office, and I always had people to help me out. 
somebody would help me. And there was an army of people to help me. And I was used to doing things with the, as a team. And then God called me away from being a youth pastor to go down and teach at North Central University and where I taught youth ministry. And that transition was a hard transition. When you change careers, it's not always easy. It's like you got to start over again. And you're like, do I want to start over again? And I remember the very first week on the job was the last week of the spring semester, the week of graduation, of uh, final exams. And, and I show up when everybody else is wanting to leave. I didn't have a welcoming committee. There was no army of people. I didn't have any administrative assistance. I didn't have any master's commission to help me out. And they didn't even have an office for me. So they finally placed me into this office where I shared a temporary space with four other professors. And I had a desk. I did not have a phone. I didn't have a computer. And this is pre-cell phone days. Hello. Well, I had a cell phone, but I didn't use it for everything like I do today. And so I just sat there and I'm like, okay, so what do I do? You know, I got up and pushed the chair in and pulled it out and pushed the chair in and pulled it out. And, you know, I'm trying to come up with things to do. I didn't have any idea what I was supposed to do. They were all done. And I was starting a new journey and nobody was really thinking about helping me out on my next steps of my journey. And so it was very lonely. Then, then they did reconstruction on that building. And so I got kicked out of that office and I had to work from home. And now I would come out of my office and I had these three two elementary and two middle school kids in my house who I would come out of the office instead of an army of people to tell what to do. Now I had Timmy who said, come on, we just play basketball. And I had, I just, I lost my rhythm. I lost my mojo. I thought maybe something got up and left. I didn't, wasn't excited anymore. And I'm like, did I make a mistake? How many of you, when you make a job change or something, you wonder if you made a mistake early on? But what I discovered was the very things that I learned in serving and working as a youth leader here at Emmanuel and, and then serving faithfully for many years as an assistant and associate youth pastor, all of those things that I learned enabled me in my new job to begin to do the same things in serving the people that I was around, learning my job, doing my best. The climb out was quicker. It was quicker because I embraced where I was, I built on the, the things I had learned before, and I made my way out, okay? Some people never make their way out because they curse the moment instead of embracing the moment and recognizing God can teach me things in this moment, and if I'm willing to start over, God will promote me. Come on, somebody. And by the way, years later, I had other responsibilities at the university. I was one of the vice presidents when I was called back to be the lead pastor at Emmanuel. How many know I was not the same guy when I came back because of all the growth and learning experiences I went through in that transition? Sometimes we just got to embrace the transitions we're in and get over it. Instead of whining, let's lean into it. That'll preach, but hey. I think the biggest challenge for us is just being willing to try again. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm willing to try. <laughs> I'm willing to try. Daniel's this old soul who makes it through all of the years and decades of changes. And he basically says here in chapter 6, well, here we go again. Here we go again. It's a pretty cool moment for Daniel. And I want you to know he has great favor because he's about to get promoted. 
But favor isn't random, it always has a backstory. When you look at other people who are successful, there's always other things in their story that got them to where they are. They're not better than you because of their DNA. God loves all his children. People always, if they want favor, that favor has a backstory. Daniel has sacrificed many things to be on the story that God's called him to. He was a eunuch, which means he lost some of his stuff. It means that he had given up a lot of things. He didn't have a family. He was on his own. And yet, because he had consistent faithfulness, as he served under crazy tyrant rulers, he was able to have favor. He learned how to serve in each and every circumstance. Through it all, he's remained faithful and responsible and trustworthy. Verse 4 says he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Now, I want you to think about a couple things here, and we're going to keep moving in this story. And spoiler alert, there's a story at the end that many people know about. Daniel gets thrown into the lions, and he makes his way out. Sorry, just gave it out. But what we don't often think about is there were lions that Daniel faced before the lions. And the lions he faced were in his everyday normal life. The people that were around him. I know none of y'all know anything about that. Not everybody is your greatest fan in your life, true? Some of your relatives aren't cheering for you. And Daniel had some haters in his life. The lions before the lions. Look at verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was always faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. So what we have here is Daniel is consistent. Those people around him can't find any holes in his life. So they tried to change the laws, the HR laws at work. And they decide we're going to set it up so whatever you do is going to cause you pain. And then they went together, a select group of them, to the king without Daniel. And they said to the king, King Darius, they simply said, you're an amazing guy. And they, they puff him up. And we think you should do this. And all the administrators are in agreement about this. Now, Darius, on the other side of the story, is thinking Daniel is one of them. He implicitly thinks that somehow Daniel agreed to this. So he's not even thinking about it. They slipped it in, this decree that he can't essentially pray to anyone other than King Darius. And of course, Daniel's not going to follow that. And the the success that was going on inside of Daniel's life had provoked something in his co-workers. 
They didn't like it. And favor and success in your life can cause your teammates, your classmates, your coworkers, your peers, your family to develop a heart filled with jealousy. Jealousy is something we all deal with in one way or another. What can jealousy do to your heart when others succeed around you? What jealousy can do in the heart of others when you succeed? There are haters all around. You know what a hater is. A hater is when someone can't be happy for you when you're successful because they're in their own season. And the lion of jealousy wants to eat us alive to cut off our seasons of favor. He wants to cut it off. Friends, the root of jealousy is pride. It is pride inwardly. It's seen in Genesis with the first two children, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, born underneath Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, the ones breathed in by God in the dust, the first two humans, their sons, that first generation, are raised up, but they were not the same. The boys were different. God gives the instructions to worship him, and he gives them instructions of how to worship him. And so Abel is a sheep herder. He's got flocks, and so he offers up his flocks, and God accepts that worship. But Cain is one of those who is a one who works the ground, and he raises crops, and he wants to offer up his crops. But God didn't want anything offered up out of the ground. In fact, if you read a few chapters earlier in Genesis, God had just cursed the ground. And so God didn't want them offering up anything cursed. And so he accepts Abel's offering and he rejects Cain's offering. And Cain gets ticked, not at God, but at who? His brother Abel. I don't know why it is with humanity. But when we are frustrated, we want to blame anybody and everybody. Because God didn't accept my way of doing things. The only way for God to accept things from us is through humility. When we do it his way. I know so many people, they want to make bargains with God. God, I'll worship you out in nature. All right? And you can worship God anywhere, friends. But what they're really saying to God is, God, I don't want to go to church ever. I want to be out doing my thing. I don't want to gather with believers. I want to do it my way. And friends, there's room for vacation. There's room for other things. But what I'm saying is that really the root that God looks at is the heart. What has God asked you to do? Do what he wants you to do. Don't make up your own alternative. And this is what we see. Jealousy arises in the story of Daniel's peers comes out. How do we see jealousy active in our culture today? We can see it in bullying. And it's not restricted to teenagers and kids. Adults bully each other. Bullying pushes people around. And it's the result of jealousy sometimes. We don't like what somebody else has. The social media, the filtered life, or the comparison trap, which exposes us to insecurity or exposes our insecurity. I was looking and studying a little bit this week, last couple of weeks, about uh, 
this thought of social media's impact on our life and how we see ourselves and how we view other people. And I came across a guy who has like a hundred and, what has he got, 153,000 followers on Instagram. And he's known for all these epic pictures that he's got of big global places where he's seen mountains and, and cool places in the, in the Pacific Ocean and epic scenes. And, and he shows them and all these people follow and they love to comment on it. And many people comment about how amazing that is and how he gets to go see all of those things. And, and so they're essentially saying, I want your life. And he replied to one of those followers for that comment about how they want his life. And this is what he wrote. He said this, what you see in my pictures are exactly that, just pictures. It's what I've chosen for you to see. I don't post photos about how I found myself broken. I don't make stories of the hard days I go through. What you see here on my Instagram is how I express art. It isn't life and it shouldn't be looked at as such. Life should never be how, much, how many waterfalls I can get to or how many countries I can visit. There's so much more than that. That is why, I, why it's important to remind yourself often where your identity is found. Being in the business, I have met some of the largest social media influencers out there, actors, musicians, photographers, etc. And hidden behind a mask of followers and Snapchat stories to make their lives seem grandeur are broken people. People choose what they want you to see on here. What am I getting at? This thought was brought up by often being asked the question, I love your life, how do I have it? You don't love my life. You love the life I portrayed to you. You don't love the most famous people's lives. You just love what they have chosen for you to see. Fame will not make you feel less empty. I know because I've been around people with all the fame in the world who are less than happy. This is because they have found their happiness in all the wrong things. They found identity in their fans. They find happiness in how many people know them. Please don't wish you were someone else. You are beautifully and wonderfully created by the very hands that can give you true purpose. You were created the way you are for a reason, whether it means the whole world knows your name or just your friends. The number of people who know you doesn't determine the difference you can make. Stop wishing for things that have no purpose. Start fixating your wishes and your happiness in things that matter. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. What a great reminder to us, hello. Because everywhere around us, we're told that we need somebody else to tell us that we're good. And it breeds insecurity, and insecurity creates an atmosphere for jealousy. And if I need something external to know that I am okay, I'm living in a breeding ground for jealousy. James 3. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Friends, a life of pride and jealousy is exhausting and draining. It's not helpful. And Jesus invites us to find rest in him, in learning humility and meekness of heart. 
Proverbs 14, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. We need to find our identity in Jesus. He was there forming us and shaping us in our mother's womb before we were ever born. And we need to find our hope in him. And he likes us. I love what Corrie Ten Boom, Boom, one of the Holocaust survivors who wrote The Hiding Place said. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. That's the way we need to think. My identity and contentment is found in humility before my creator. Paul addresses this in Philippians when he's talking about himself. And he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, many people love to quote Philippians 4.13, but they don't want to look at Philippians 4.12. The two go together. Because Paul says, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance, I now can say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. There is a connection between being content with what you have and the confidence that you have. They're linked together. People who don't have confidence are not content with where they are. When we learn to embrace where we are, and to thank God for the strength he gives us where we are, then he has the ability to move us to some other place or make us strong in the circumstances that we're in. But when we're fighting against God, other things grow inside of us. And how many know bad things grow in the dark? We need to bring those things out into the light and allow God to change us. And when you find yourself getting jealous or angry, remember that you're not getting stronger. You aren't getting stronger the more jealous you feel, the more times you look at somebody else's Facebook page and wish you had her family or wish you had their business. You're not getting stronger when those thoughts kind of are directing you towards jealousy. No, you get stronger when you embrace what God has already given you and then say, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We need to lean and trust in God in every situation, knowing that he can do everything with what you already have through him who gives you strength. Now let's look back at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to see the response to Daniel and his peers. By the way, Daniel hears about this, we're going to see, and he doesn't go, oh no, and throw out like on Facebook this, this the, the, the people are coming to my house, I need you guys, oh get Protest in my front yard. Stop them from coming. He doesn't like freak out. He doesn't do anything like that. Look at what he does. He says, verse 12. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down, what does it say? As usual. Say that with me. As usual. In his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. I love this about Daniel. He's in his 80s. This guy is not trying to impress us with what kind of shoes he bought this week. He doesn't care what the latest phone is and whether Samsung or iPhone are better. He doesn't care about none of that. 
What he is, is he's a guy who has done the same thing every day for multiple decades. He prayed three times a day. He was boring. But church, you need to hear me. Sometimes the boring people win out in the end. The faithful people, the people that just keep plodding on and go to work. Show up. Don't take a day off because it's nice outside saying you're sick. Oh, he's stepping on toes now, Pastor Nate. You just gone there. Don't do that. Well, Daniel's the kind of guy that he does the same thing all the time. And when trouble comes, he ain't freaking out about it. He chooses to do the same thing he did yesterday, the same thing he did the day before that, the same thing he did 10 years before that. He was just plain faithful. I told you that favor has a backstory. This is a part of the backstory. Some of us want God to give us a breakthrough and we want us to help us out and, and we want us to have a spiritual party in our life. And God's going, why don't you just do the same thing every day and be found faithful and consistent and following me? The world was, we got an ADD culture. We get all excited about something and we're like, it's like a diet at the beginning of the year. By February, we're already eating donuts again. And I'm just telling you, there's something about Daniel doing the same thing, kept returning to his place of strength. No matter what was going on around him, he went back. He didn't let the external drama rob him of time with his creator. How about you? Has the busyness of life knocked you off track? Do you have an excuse for why you aren't connecting with your creator? Is life just too busy? Faithfulness wins out in the end. I just challenge you, do like Daniel. Choose to do the hard thing rather than the easy thing. Stick it out. Spend time with the Lord. And I'm not wanting condemnation for those of us that are off track. I'm wanting to redirect you back to the path you should be on. Time with the Lord daily, time in his word daily will help you out and take you a long ways. All right, let's look at the haters. In verse 11, what they do to run their play. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying and asking for God's help. And so they went straight to the king. Reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who praised anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law. The Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. And then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And by the way, the king, they know the king loves Daniel. They know Daniel's going to be promoted. So they're being slick. They're bringing this in. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of his day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. I just want to mention here, there's a little footnote. Did you know that when decisions are made by companies or government 
or school systems, by administrators or people, and they have to follow through on the law, it doesn't mean that that person's not on your side all the time. Sometimes I think we just get mad at anybody and everybody because they didn't do what we wanted them to do, and we throw a temper tantrum about it. It's possible that potentially the people we're talking to, even though they can't give us the answer we want, they're not against us. I want to just say this, because sometimes we deal with in authorities in the land or people at the bank or people in our company, whatever it may be, and we're tempted to direct our anger at the situation, at the person in authority, that maybe that's not the best thing for them. Maybe we need to step back and see, just like with Daniel, Darius did look for a way to get Daniel out of the den of lions. He was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel, it says. And he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your Majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. And so at the last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. This is the epic moment. He's literally thrown in with a den of lions. Certain death is there. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. Just reminds me a little bit of New Testament there when the stone was rolled over the tomb. And how many know the third day Jesus broke out? I can't help but see that in the story. I'm like, come on now. This is good stuff. And the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. And then the king returned to the palace and spent the night fasting, and he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. His enemies had now followed through on their conspiracy. And I just want to mention today that for the church, we need to draw in close to Jesus because the day and age is such that many of the things that we believe about the Bible are being questioned. And we're not just being bullied and told we're stupid, but the laws are moving in a way to make it illegal. And I don't know what the stories hold in the future. I pray that God's grace continues in America. But I know that the spirit of the age is to shut down the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just last week I was preaching in, in Michigan at my friend Lee's church, Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And afterward a lady came up after one service and she works in the HR department at a very well-known company that many of you would know. And she said, uh, I want to know what I need to do. I was preaching out of Mark 11 last week, and it had nothing to do with what we're doing today. But she said, uh, I work in this HR department, and they're pushing certain things that they're calling diversity now that have nothing to do with ethnicity or taking care of people and respect, but they have to do with promoting things that I believe are ungodly and that I have to participate in, that I have to support. She said, what do I do about it? I said, well, first of all, you need to move to Minnesota and join our Daniel series. <laughs> I literally said that to her. Uh, I said, you can come in. The reality was is it was no different for this day and age for many of you in the corporations and the government that we're in. We need wisdom from God for how to navigate some of these things in our work and our life outside of church. And listen, by the way, the answer isn't by protesting and outing people at your company about how bad they are. 
because you'll lose your job and your influence. The answer is by doing what Daniel did every day, praying three times a day, to remain true to the ethics of the word, and then to say, God, I need you. Jesus said to his disciples before he left, you won't need anybody to guide you. The Holy Spirit will lead you. He'll show you how to handle things. I believe the prophetic, real-time power of the Holy Spirit is available for every one of the, us under the sound of my voice. If we call upon him daily, we don't need to freak out. We need to ask God for wisdom. Turn to the person next to you and say, you better ask for wisdom. And then the major miracle happens. Very early the next morning, the king got up, hurried out to the lion's den, and when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. Which, by the way, he was still loyal to the king. It was the king's decree that sent him there, but he didn't get bitter about it. He still honored the authority that was around him. Long live the king, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. This is a major miracle. An angel went in there. Not only was the lion's mouth shut, but the claws were shut up as well. And he made it out. Listen. God takes care of our enemies. He's the one that delivers us, and if we trust in him, he does it. Look at verse 24. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel, and he had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And the lions leapt on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And then King Darius sent his mess, this message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders in the heavens and on earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius, and then segue to the next chapter, the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So as we end here, this chapter, I want to challenge you, church, to consider long-haul, everyday faith that enables you to handle it when you hit your crisis. There's a backstory to every part of what Daniel went through. He wasn't calm because he just all of a sudden emerged with great faith. No, for decades, in season and out of season. He went through all kinds of, man, his company changed their software and he had to learn new software. They got new health insurance. He had to deal with all the new forms that he had to fill. Think about that, over 80 years, he went through a lot of different stuff. But God enabled him to make it through it all because he just simply humbled himself daily and said, God, use me where I am. And he gave him strength. And along the way, I believe that Daniel had a chance to, to be jealous. He could have let jealousy grow in his heart, but he decided, no, I'm gonna bring it before God on a daily basis. I think that he had people around him that were jealous, always trying to knock him out. 
but because he was faithful, he didn't worry about their plans. He knew that God was the judge. That's simply how you and I can live. Would you stand with me today?